0: Welcome to Pop Talk's new series called Mini Minisodes. During this time, we briefly take a look back at our last podcast by our panel of experts and preview what's coming up in our next Pop Talk podcast. Now, let's join our host, Dr. Shane Fernando.
1: Welcome back to Pop Talk and a brand new year, 2022. Uh, this is the, the first episode of the year. Not really a full episode, but it's a little bit of a mini-sode. I'm Dr. Shane Fernando, a clinical epidemiologist at UNT Health Science Center, and joined with uh, my uh, producer.
0: Stephen Bartolotta, uh, communications director for the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine. And happy new year to you, Dr. Fernando. Happy new year to you, Steve. So we just wanted to talk a little
1: bit about what's on everyone's mind, what's on the news, what's pretty
0: much everywhere uh, we look, Omicron. It is. It's everywhere. And again, um, you know, when you, it's almost like we're back in 2020 again. Almost uh, when you think about it. But uh, it's another variant. Um, it's it's another thing that people have to be aware of. They have to be cognizant of it. It's not something that you can just ignore and hope it's going to go away. Uh, it, it just doesn't work like that. Well it's Will it subside eventually? I'm sure it will. But uh, for people who are concerned, for people who maybe are worried about their children. Uh, school is starting back up this week. I know my kids are right. back to school this week. There's a lot of stuff that people don't know about, and, and, and I think you could help fill them in on some of those things and give them good guidance because that's, I think, in this day and age, and everyone's heard it, everyone knows about it, about information, uh, what to believe, what not to believe, what sources to believe, what sources not to believe, It's it's overwhelming. Uh, So we're going to try and cut through some of that today.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about um, where this came from, where it's going, what it might look like for a lot of people. So we know that it started in South Africa for the most part. It, it, It spread very, very quickly. This particular variant is highly infectious. We know that it's anywhere between 17 to 40 times more infectious than the other variants and um it spread like wildfire throughout europe and asia now and uh it's now in our neck of the woods and has become the dominant variant in the united states i suppose there you've heard in the news that oh this is not so bad this is a mild variant this is not too bad we're fine yes and no so i think um something that's not really clear to a lot of people that is, even though it is a milder strain, that's actually among those who are vaccinated. So if you're unvaccinated, it's still pretty bad. It's still coronavirus. Um, it still gives you similar symptoms. Some of the hallmarks of Omicron, it gives your sore throat. That's one of the clear ones. It's a upper respiratory infectious uh, variant, so really targets the, the upper respiratory area. Um, that is actually of particular concern among kids, because a lot of kids have a lot of problems with the upper respiratory area, and they um, may not be vaccinated. So that's why we're seeing a large increase in the number of hospitalizations in children. This variant is very infectious. It's going through some of the vaccines. Um, Johnson & Johnson, if you have had a single dose, uh, it's ineffective. If you have two shots of Pfizer or Moderna, it's blunting um, the, the risk of getting Omicron by around 60 to 70 percent, which is not bad. But once mm-hmm. you get the booster, it bumps it up to over 80 percent. That's pretty great. Having that uh, level of protection is a very strong, strong practice to, uh, to adhere to. And um,
0: go ahead. I was gonna ask, and because yeah. you 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 said something that I think maybe is kind of lost uh, in so much of the talk, mm-hmm. and you know you hear the variants, the Delta, the Omicron, the uh, the Alpha, and I go back to you just said it's still coronavirus. Yes. Let's go back to where it all began, <laughs> to almost two years ago, which oh is boy. hard to believe, but yeah. it's still the baseline coronavirus. Um, yes, it's the SARS-CoV-2. It yeah. is still that. It, walk people through just kind of. You know, let's go back to the beginning when this all unfolded. I think people maybe have just uh, maybe forgotten because there's so much that has happened. It's While we laugh and say it's, it feels like 2020 again, it, there is so much that has gone on since Yeah, really March of 2020 when it became uh, prevalent in everyone's lives here in the United States That's and around right. the world. Shutdowns, yeah. But just coronavirus itself. Give us a little bit of a background on it in general, uh, just so people can know and, and maybe have some, you know, wonder, what is this coronavirus? You know, we've heard so much about it, but right. let's go back from the beginning and, and what is it?
1: Sure. So coronaviruses are actually a class of virus. It's, um, it's spherical in shape, so it looks like a little ball, and it's got these little spikes on it. And it, if you look at it through a microscope, it looks like a sun with a, uh, a corona effect, which is where the name comes from. Um, there are plenty of coronaviruses in the wild, but this particular one started giving a lot of trouble because of its highly infectious nature and its ability to send people into organ failure, particularly lung failure. Right. Um, whenever a virus invades someone, infects someone, there is a chance for it to mutate. So what, what do we mean by mutations? Everything in nature adapts to whatever environment it's in. So if you're thinking about, um, actually if you just think about human beings, when we go in, in the sun, we darken a little bit, right? It's our defense mechanism against the sun. Uh, it's the same kind of idea with the virus. It doesn't know any better. It's gonna go into a, a human body, a human host, and change a little bit to do better for itself, right? That's, that's its mm-hmm. drive. Uh, it's, not really, it's not a thinking thing, of course, but uh, it's just its nature. So every time it jumps in from one person to another, it changes slightly. So that's where we get these variants from, Um, alpha, beta, et cetera. It's been fairly consistently ramping up because of the changes in the mutations. And because the entire world is affected by coronavirus, the likelihood of us seeing variants in the future, new and newer variants, is increasing. The more people get infected, the higher the chance it mutates. Some mutations just don't work well. Like, um, oh wait, this particular adaptation wasn't successful for the coronavirus, and it actually dies out with a particular variant. And some variants are very effective. So if you look at the um, Delta strain, the one that caused us the biggest trouble in 2020, Mm -hmm. um, it was highly infectious, and it was more lethal than the previous variants. So it was just it had made itself a little bit stronger it had gone to the gym and worked out a little bit and it was <laughs> in jumping into people and very quickly and infecting very quickly and re- uh, damaging the body very quickly which caused those massive spikes and mm-hmm. hospitalizations and um, people having a hard time thankfully we had the vaccines at that point last year like it's kind of weird to think it has only been about I, a year. I know. It's amazing. That it goes by fast. <laughs> it does go by fast. So It's been a year since we've had the vaccine. So if we compare where we are now to 2020, right? <laughs> I had to actually think for a second. 2020. Um, 2020, we didn't know anything about this coronavirus. It was relatively new. We were still uh, washing groceries. We were... Uh, Panicking, staying at home, a lot of people bought a lot of toilet paper. You know, those. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> I did too. But there there's a lot of um, there was a lot of panic and a lot of fear. But what we saw now is a, a glimmer of hope. We've seen that these vaccines were very effective against Delta strain, uh, especially when you're boosted, and it appears that the boosted um, the boost level allows us to protect ourselves from Omicron as well. You do hear people getting Omicron even with a third uh, dose, the booster dose. But I think something that people forget are the vaccines are a way to protect ourselves. And it's not always going to be 100 percent. No vaccine has ever been 100 percent. There's it'll reduce the chances of you getting
0: sick. It won't. It'll hopefully protect you from going to the hospital, which is the big problem. Right. And, and, you know, you, uh, you mentioned the, the fear that kind of gripped, mm-hmm. uh, the, the world, uh, really for, for not just a week or two, it was really for months because this was so That's unknown, right. nobody knew almost anything about it. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people were trying to come up with solutions at that time. Well, it appears now we do have solutions, but also, you know, you said fear, um, We're almost two years uh, since uh, this kind of came ashore and then really spread itself around the world uh, itself. That word fear seems to be thrown around so much. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong in saying that people really shouldn't have that much fear as long as they're doing what they should be within reason? Because again, the flu, it can be, uh, you know, you can talk about just different things that can cause a lot of different problems. But from a purely fear standpoint, um, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of the different things the vaccines are able to do for you and provide you with, as you said, it's not going to be 100%. No one, There's nothing 100%. There's no silver bullet out there. That's just not going to be the case. And it never was presented that way. But can people have that reasonable concern level ratcheted down from where it was probably like DEFCON 5 <laughs> back in March of 2020, now to let's all just be reasonable and let's let's just take things the, the right way and do things smart. Is that really the, the approach people should be looking at now? I think so. I mean,
1: um, when I look at um, the effects of Omicron, we're seeing mostly sore throats among those who are vaccinated. So if you are masking still, if you're vaccinated and boosted, and avoiding really large crowds of unknown variables like a lot of people that you may not know who may be exposing themselves, you should really be living in a, a state of fear or a severe worry. Uh, you are doing what you need to do to keep yourself safe as well as you can.
0: What um, – a parent here uh, mm-hmm. you know, asking the question for I think what a lot of people would be wondering, school starting back up. Um, some people have children under five. Uh, vaccines aren't available to that. I'm one of those. What would you tell parents uh, of, of younger kids, of infants, of toddlers? Uh, what are some things they can do to, to help uh, protect those, uh, really, uh, the youngest of the young out there?
1: That's a great question. And I've heard that a lot because uh, it's been on a lot of people's minds. There are a lot of vulnerable people in our families. Um, the best way to protect your under five, the ones who cannot get vaccinated, or if you're immune compromised, a, ch- a child that has a condition that might put them more at risk from COVID um, is to make sure that everyone around them is vaccinated. So if you're creating this protective bubble around you know, your kid, you're going to do better. You're reducing the chances of them being infected. Now, when they go to school, that's going to be tough, Right. Right especially when they're little, it's really hard to tell a three-year-old, oh, you need to wear this mask for whatever reason, and they won't fully understand the reason why. I mean, even harder when you go even younger, but mm-hmm. it's it's going to be a challenge. I think talking to them, making it a fun little game, um, what, what I found uh, was very interesting is, like, using... Uh, a mask that's very colorful and and fun and uh, related to their favorite. Maybe let them create one of themselves. Yes. That's a great mm-hmm. idea. Actually, that's a fantastic idea. Mm-hmm.
0: Have them uh, take some ownership and have some fun thinking yeah. it. And, you know, uh, you, know you mentioned uh, daycares and mm-hmm. places like that. I sort of joke, you know. We've we've had a couple of our kids go through daycare, and they're now in the school-aged now. But I, I just would oftentimes joke and say, "Coronavirus had to start at a daycare." I mean, that's, yeah. where, that's where all great viruses <laughs> begin. Because uh, as soon as we start up, you know, with our youngest again, uh, coming home with the runny nose yeah. and all the different things. But again, those are those are real concerns that uh, parents. Hey, we're Absolutely. not physicians; we don't know, and yeah. that's kind of the question that I think a lot of people goes. I don't know. Uh, is this really just a runny nose or yeah. is this Omicron or, or is this something else? else? Yeah. Uh, what would you tell people, you know, I've got a runny nose or I've, you know, my, uh, my four-year-old has a little bit of a cough. What advice would you tell them? Testing, go to the – some people are going to maybe an extreme and going to the ER. Well, what would you tell them to do in that, cir- in that circumstance? Definitely don't go to the ER.
1: Um, the ER is not the place to get tested. Uh, they are the place to go when you are sick. Right. And we've seen a lot of uh, ERs get overwhelmed yeah. because of it. Uh, so definitely don't. Uh, and I know the lines for the free testing are out the door and mm-hmm. for miles, right? It's, it's a hard thing to get a PCR test uh, right now just because there's a long wait for the free tests. Um, there are over-the-counter options you can find if you can find them. Those are also hard to find, like the Abbott, Binax, Ellume, etc. I know that um, the administration is trying to send out um, new at-home testing, Mm -hmm. hopefully this month. Um, That would be great. I think that would help a lot of people. And and it's free. So that would help people um, financially as well as peace of mind. Mm -hmm. So what to do when you think your kid might be infected or exposed? So the first thing if, if your family's entirely vaccinated, um, just observe right away, right? Um, the guideline is looking for a couple of days, see if there are any symptoms that are developing. So if it's a runny nose, uh, if it's a sore throat, is a fever, it could be something like a flu. It could be a cold. It could be COVID. Best course of action, um, if you're unable to take your child into their pediatrician, to uh, just get an assessment is to do an at-home test. That would be the simplest thing to do. Those are quick, they take 15 minutes, uh, and they're about $20. So that's not bad, especially if you want to have some peace of mind. Yeah. Not feasible for everybody, right? Um, best course of action for those who are unable to do any of that is to just make sure your child is taken care of. The little ones, are you have to observe very carefully to make sure that they're upper respiratory system is not getting uh, too much trouble. If they're having difficulty breathing, you should go to the hospital. That's absolutely true.
0: You're listening to Pop Talk, Dr. Shane Fernando, Stephen Bartolotta. Glad you're with us here as we uh, discuss hey, the uh, the relevant topic of the day, and that's Omicron, and that's uh, the coronavirus continuing its spread across the United States. Uh, as we talk a little bit about what some things to do, uh, some things to watch out for, you mentioned, uh, you know, with the younger kids, uh, especially in Uh, three, four, five years old, um, observe, uh, watch them, what would you tell parents not to do uh, if they fear that, okay, I think they have coronavirus in terms of, uh, you know, maybe trying to give their child something or uh, Hmm. you don't want to – you don't want to try and play uh, play the role of a physician or uh, just think, well, I heard or I saw this yeah. on uh, social media and this worked <laughs> on so-and-so. What would you tell them not to do?
1: That's actually a, a great point you bring up, Steve. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there on what is a treatment and what is not a treatment. Uh, be very cautious. I know a lot of people say they want to do their own research. That's fine, but you have to know how to do that. Um, Going to website, going to Facebook groups is not research. You have to look at peer-reviewed documents to see information as well as you can. And even then, believe me, it's tough. We teach our students here how to interpret those appropriately because there's a lot of content out there and you have to make sure that some papers are good papers, right? Uh, Definitely avoid looking at recommendations from social media. I think that's been our biggest issue for the past two years. Is there's been a lot of misinformation, and probably longer <laughs> yeah. misinformation. I I think for me, it's been more evident, um, even more so with, you know, the pandemic. We've right. dealt with vaccine hesitation before, but um,
0: this is a whole other level. Right. the The rise in sort of social media, and I kind of want to get your your feedback on that. Sure. Um, at the same time, we're also teaching students here, uh, medical students, future physicians who will be going out conducting research. They mm-hmm. will be uh, in the clinics themselves. Do you at all discuss – and I know you talked a little bit about peer review and how to, how to get them to understand uh, how to read it and, and decipher it correctly. Yes. When you when you talk to students first, second, third, and fourth year, they've all sort of lived through this in in their own way. What what do they say when it comes to you know? Well, I saw this or I heard this, and then what do you try and how do you try and mentor and teach them in that way?
1: That's actually a great question. We uh, we have a class. I I teach a class that's uh that tells them how to interpret articles properly, and I give them the background and allow them. um, It's a fun part of the class is they get to find. Any statement, a health statement, on social media or otherwise, so it can be as very far-ranging. I mean, I had some doozies over the years, but well, <laughs> one of the ones that I still remember to this day is can snorting cayenne powder cure my nasal <laughs> infection? And there's plenty of uh, statements out there saying, yeah, totally, just snort
0: yeah, you know, chili just powder. go ahead and try it. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Ooh,
1: that's bad. Uh, so, yes, there is some evidence that capsaicin, the active ingredient in chilies, is an infection inhibitor. There's a better way of uh, taking care of your nose, though, (laughs) than snorting chili powder, right? Um, So so that case was one of those, um, yes, you can, but should you? (laughs) Right. Um, But uh, what we like to talk about is just because something is peer-reviewed doesn't necessarily mean The peers agreed, and I think that's something that's also not really mentioned. Uh, Whenever you submit an article for publication, it has to go through a peer review process where it's sent to people who are not related to the project, uh, not related ideally. Sort of give it an independent feel. Yeah, just an independent feel, make it more reliable. So they look at it from an outsider's view. They don't know who wrote the article. That's blinded from them. They don't even know the purpose, They but they see the abstract. They read the paper. Mm-hmm. And so they have this very objective approach to the paper. And then they write a comment sheet. It's like, do you think which parts of this make sense? Does it not make sense? And um, would you recommend it for publication? Would you recommend it for revisions? Or would you reject it? Um, I say this because I'm a, on an editor in one of the journals. So we see that happen quite often. Um, So when you see these papers, uh, they can be very good. And then there are some papers that could be better. I like to say could be better because there are bad papers, but they're uh, hopefully not getting published too often. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I think uh, what we like our students to do is use critical thinking. And uh, we teach them to use these tapes. So if we take that Cayenne powder Mm -hmm. incident – um, they have to find papers that either support that or refute it, and within the last five years. So if they can't find anything that supports it, that everything is refuting it, well, maybe the statement isn't correct. If they find things that are supporting it, hey, maybe this might be something that we can examine in the future. But the nature of science is it's always evolving. It's always, always moving changes, forward. yeah. Yeah. It's like we, one question leads to another, right? Um, So if uh, these papers never make, they shouldn't make firm statements at the end. They always make suggestions of where this should lead. And it's up to um,
0: future research to continue to improve that. You said future research. You mentioned uh, down the road. Let's let's get in the old time machine if (laughs) we can. And we're not going to do any wild speculation or anything, but from a a medical healthcare community standpoint in two, three, four, or five years, where do you think healthcare and the medical community uh, comes out from? You know, uh, the coronavirus. It's it's in some form mm-hmm. or fashion. Everyone has accepted this is going to be around for for some time. We we understand that, but. Will there be changes in the way the medical community approaches this? Has it already been discussed? Is there already debates about that? Just kind of what are your thoughts? As, as someone who's in the field and, and who hears a lot of the chatter amongst the professionals, where do you think the medical community is going with, with ultimately down the road with this? Oh, that's a, it's a very a loaded, big question. Loaded yeah. question. It's a big yes, question. I know.
1: I think um, COVID has taught us a lot. Um, it's taught us about ourselves and uh, how resilient we can be as a community as in, and as individuals but we've also seen the dramatic holes and gaps in our own society um, i think particularly evident in healthcare our healthcare providers are overtaxed overburdened and we don't have enough resources to make sure that everyone's treated if we had more hospitals if we had more funding for hospitals more beds people won't be treated in the hallways like they are being now um, Nurses and physicians wouldn't be quitting out of sheer exhaustion and sheer frustration and desperation. I think the healthcare community needs a lot of support that it's missed out on for years. And we never saw it because the country as a whole was never subjected to such a huge burden at the same time. Um, well, in 1918, the, the Spanish flu and H1N1, sure. But nowhere near to the scale yeah. um, that makes it so clearly evident. Uh, so hopefully, I'm, I'm really hoping that administrations see those issues, that they realize that a lot of the, the staff, the supporting staff, the janitors, the MAs, the nurses, and um, everyone who supports the clinical teams are underpaid and overworked. And that's something that definitely needs to be addressed. I think um, we are approaching a point of acceptance. I think you phrased it just right. Like this is going to be an endemic. It's going to be a virus that just exists in our environment and we'll have to deal with it as a uh, regular occurrence.
0: You mentioned, um, you know, the healthcare community, uh, you know, a lot of my, some of my background was in law enforcement just for a few years, but I saw, and I make the parallel to that because I saw law enforcement being asked to do so much. They're asked to, you know, to take care of this, 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 and this, so many of it. And they just kept piling up and piling yeah. up. And now having been over in the, uh, sort of the healthcare sphere and seeing everything that's piling up amongst the healthcare community just through the this past years, how do you think, you know, those who have been in it for, for almost two years now, um, have you had a chance to visit with any of them, and just kind of, you wish you could get them to decompress because they can't because they're so busy right now. But yeah. have you had a chance to visit with some of maybe your colleagues, and just you know, what has been this this last two year run? Is it is there anything like this you ever expected to see in your entire career at all, like this? Yeah, that's that's a
1: great point. Um, I uh, have a lot of good friends and colleagues in uh, physicians and uh, other scientists, and. At this point, they're all very tired. (laughs) I think um, that's consistent. But uh, they're marching on because um, everyone I know, and I can't speak obviously for the whole field, but everyone I know is passionately a physician or a nurse or an EMT um, because they want to be. And they came into this field because they want to serve people and to take care of people. So I see a lot of them just very, very tired, very drawn, and almost a little bit defeated at times, but still with that spark of light in them that inspires me. I mean, I see that in my department, I mean, I in the pediatrics department, which is generally one of the happier departments uh, in the clinical (laughs) field, because you kind of have to be, you're dealing with little kids, but even them, they're very tired. They are amazing Caregivers and they're giving their heart and their soul. And I can see how defeated they are sometimes when they right. uh, see a kid with COVID or um, just hear of another death. Or it's just it's an impactful thing. They see it firsthand, and it's devastating. And I don't think any of us really expected to see this in our lifetime. I mean, myself as an epidemiologist, my whole focus is on diseases, and when I graduated, I thought, you know what, there is a probability that we're going to see one. Mm -hmm. I just hoped we never would. And I I know just like everybody else out there, we're all desperate for this to end. So I think that unified, um, getting people to work together to
0: stop COVID is really what we need to do. Right. You know, you said, uh, you know, something pretty profound about just how tired um, the industry as a whole and just mm-hmm. healthcare exhausted. communities, hospitals, clinics, you name it, anything involved with healthcare, they're exhausted. We're at a medical school. Mm-hmm. We've got over 900 students that are training to go into this field to be the reinforcements in a manner of speaking. They really are. Uh, how excited? What is the pulse of some of these students that you interact with on a daily basis, knowing that? you're going in to the profession you know, at, at basically a time that it needs to be picked up off the mat. Uh, what, what are their thoughts? And have they even really kind of uh, comprehended, you know, I know the fourth year students are, are getting ready for match day coming up in a few months, but in six months, they're going to be in the field mm-hmm. and they're going to be dealing with this uh, headlong. Uh, what have you heard and what have you, you seen from some of these students who are about to be the help that some of these providers need? So, we have a, a very diverse class every year, and
1: um, so our fourth years, there are some that have thought about it and some – or some kind of just putting it to the side because they don't want to think about right. it. Right. Um, I think summarized – based on some of the conversations I've had, the general feeling that I can read is that it, um, it's – you know that feeling in your stomach when you're about to ask – out your crush for the first time when you were a kid. Right. The knot in your stomach. The knot in s- your stomach. Sweaty the, palms. Yeah.
0: Uh, Am I going to do this right? Exactly. I know what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The anticipation, a little <laughs> bit of nervousness, a little bit of fear, but also a little bit of a thrill, yep. right? Because you're, you're excited. You're ready to dive in. Yep. But you're not sure how it goes. And I think that's really where they're at. Um, I'm proud of them because it is – they stuck to this program. They stuck to it. They They could have quit two years ago. When they saw this coming, I was like, well, I don't want, I've seen what happens in hospitals. I don't want to do that this? anymore. Yeah. yeah, they could have just bailed. But I'm proud of them. They didn't. They stood strong and they're
0: running headfirst into helping people. You think that'll be kind of one of the uh, things that might be written down the road and decades later is, and, you know, I, I kind of wonder this myself, you know, and in 20, 30, 40 years when people will look back on this. And, and I'd like it to be about resiliency not about mm-hmm. just uh, all the different things that this happened and that happened uh, do you feel like that is something that the medical community still has a chance to write the last word about is you know as hard a swing as we have taken and as much of a almost a knockout blow <laughs> as it seemed for so many people you know the medical community healthcare in itself was able to write the final chapter and it's going to be a winner
1: I feel like that's something I think that can so. be done.
0: I th- I am I'm always the optimist. So
1: I think we can defeat this. I have no doubt that we will. Um, and I hope that we get the chance to write that final chapter and say, "Hey, this is this is how the COVID pandemic ended." And there'll be a great way to the end that uh, saga in human history, right? Um I also think about everyone else in the community. I mean it's not just um, at the when at the beginning we heard healthcare workers being called heroes and frontline and all but we forget all of the everyone around us, right? Mm-hmm. The um, the support staff. Those cl- hospitals don't clean themselves. Yeah. Um, all those beds don't change themselves. Uh, yeah. those are people who are exposed just as much as providers to this virus and they're coming in not being paid too much to do it but they're doing it to make sure that there's a clean environment for people. That's amazing to me.
0: Yeah, and none of them have to. They know. don't have they to. Could, they can get a job anywhere. They else. could clearly go somewhere else. Absolutely. Uh, a less sort of scary environment they don't want to mm-hmm. be around it. They could easily do it, but I think that speaks to the dedication and again kind of a little bit what I was uh, angling at was just uh, these are people who uh, you know it seems like now they're in it. And they want to be in it mm-hmm. and they want to be there when this is over because they want to sort of have that, you know, at the end of a, of a, of a war, you know, at the end of World War II, you had this <laughs> ticker tape parade. They want to see that. And I think that's what people want to see, too. I think they want to have that. And I don't know if there will ever be that moment where you can declare victory ultimately. But I think there will be that time that comes and hopefully it's very soon that people are able to look at this and say "We beat, we beat it. We did it together, and it wasn't just, you know, one person who came up with this magic bullet. It was everybody. It was all the people, as you said, all the people who helped clean the hospital, all the people who helped make the food for the people who worked there. Everyone across the board is going to be able to have that victory, Uh, and I think that will be, you know, the most special moment for all the healthcare community, and they need it, and they're going to need it. And I think that will be the sort of – exclamation point uh, when people can have that moment.
1: I hope that um, the lessons we've learned in these years continue to rest in our mind and that we actually take action on them. Because I think that there's been a lot of injustice we've seen, a lot of poor practices that we can improve on. I mean, let's uh, hope that these lessons don't go unchallenged or unanswered. Hopefully we can look at them, learn from them, improve and make the country better than the way we started at the beginning of this pandemic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really what people have lost sight of. Mm-hmm. You, know, it's, it's, you can't lose sight of what the ultimate goal has always been, and that is to keep people healthy. If you happen to have Omicron or whatever variant uh, is out there, we're trying to get you better. Yeah. You know, people are trying to get you better. That's the ultimate goal. Yes. Um, and through all the smoke and all the uh, things that have gone on, I think that's been completely lost. And that maybe is the most important side of it. unfortunate side of it is, you know, everyone is here trying to help make people's lives better. We don't want you to yeah, die. We don't, want, we you don't die. want you to die. We don't want you to be in pain. We don't want anyone's loved one. No one wants that. Um, the results and the statistics are staggering. They speak for themselves. We don't need to, to pile on to that. But everyone is trying to make the community healthier. That's the, the goal That's that I think line. has been lost. Yes,
1: this, is, this virus doesn't care what side of the political fence you're on. It nope. doesn't care how much money you make. It doesn't care where you live. It's, it's everywhere and it's our common enemy really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to reiterate what you just said. That's, uh, we're wanting to protect our neighbors our families, our loved ones, our neighborhoods. And that's why you hear us talk about all these recommendations about vaccinating, about masking, about social distancing. It's not to take away freedoms or to minimize your life or your choices, but it's to work alongside one another so we can return to a state of uh, pre 2000 uh, 2020 like uh, uh 2018 would be fine <laughs> i mean that's fine <laughs> i just don't want to continuously be thinking or hearing about covid for the rest of our lives no. we can't get there without working together
0: no I, I i wholeheartedly agree with that um as we finish up here on pop talk as we talk uh, the beginning of the year 2022 um You know, uh, it's as we've kind of joked a few times already. It's it's hard to imagine. It's already been almost two years Mm -hmm. uh, since uh, the coronavirus uh, swam ashore, (laughs) manner of speaking. But you know, as you look forward to this year and uh, years to come, uh, just kind of put a bow on it. What should people? I don't know. There's the crystal ball is impossible to kind of to predict is exact what may or may not happen. But what should people expect? And what would you what would you tell them? you know, to prepare for, to be ready for, and and to to maybe be ready for in this upcoming year and years to come?
1: So we've seen the devastating effects variants can have um, and how they change uh, the nature of a country's uh, policies, right? Um, Omicron shut down quite a few European countries um, and some Asian countries now. And uh, we're almost going to experience a soft closure just because of a sheer number of people who are sick, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to be a formal shutdown, but it's going to be some of a slighter lighter form of it. And you're going to see something more like that as this particular variant rages on. And I anticipate that it will be pretty dominant for a while. Who's to say what the next variant will be? there is a probability of another one because we know that Omicron is so infectious, it's just like I said at the beginning, right? right. The more it jumps into people, the more likelihood there's a, a mutation that will occur. So constant vigilance is a, uh, is a phrase that, uh, that could be useful, but you have to learn to adapt. A little bit of resilience is going to be very important. Find groups that are supportive, uh, talk to people if you have questions. Talk to medical professionals if you have scientific-based questions. Don't blindly trust the internet, okay? The best thing to do is find out the right information from trusted sources and trusted sources that are scientific sources too. <laughs> um, and no matter how well-intentioned uh, someone may be, they may not have the correct information if they don't have scientific backing. So going forward in this year, again, optimistic as ever, I'm hoping that uh, Omicron will help us get to a point where, you know, there's potential herd immunity, but that's not something that we're really worried about right now. Uh, We're more concerned about how quickly it's spreading. Um, But uh, we might be okay as long as we continue to maintain our certain standards. Um, Masking, vaccinating, distancing just avoiding really large crowds of unmasked people is common sense right i think uh, using best practices using your common sense and just making sure that everything you're doing is protecting those around you is the right thing to do in this coming year but i'm hopeful
0: well i think everyone is is looking for that <laughs> in general is, is hope but uh As 2022 begins, it's also going to be a big year for Pop Talk as well. That's right. uh, It's not just going to be dominated by Omicron. You know, uh, the podcast has been going on for over a year now. Um, They've covered a lot of uh, a variety of different topics, and 2022 is going to be no different. Uh, It's not just going to be coronavirus. It's not just going to be a talk like that. There'll be uh, different episodes. Uh, Black History Month is coming up in February. Uh, there will be all kinds of just different opportunities that come along throughout the year. So, 2022 is going to be fun. I think 2022 is going to be great. We're we have so
1: many potential speakers that are excited to talk. We have uh, we we want to talk about Indigenous health. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get to that um, because of a scheduling issue last
0: um, November, but we're hoping to catch up on that. There will be a lot to, uh, to be paying attention to and to be listening to here as Pop Talk uh, rolls into the new year as we uh, are excited to, to really tackle a lot of the different issues that are out there. And there are a lot. Uh, coronavirus might just seem like it dominates the headlines, but there are a lot of other things in mm-hmm. terms of health care, in terms of uh, population health that need addressing. And uh, Dr. Shane Fernando and all the experts that he will have on will certainly be part of that. And we're certainly happy and excited to bring you more of Pop Talk as the year continues. Yes. Thank you so much,
1: Steve, for all that you do. You're, he's an amazing pro- producer, for those of you listening. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that the guests we bring on are going to be amazing. And I hope
0: all of you join us. Absolutely. And that's the goal. And the goal is to educate and the goal is to inform and uh, hopefully have uh, a good time and uh, some laughs while we're doing it. Dr. Shane Fernando, the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us here on this episode. Thank you so much for You've been listening to Pop Talk. I'm Stephen Bartolotta, and thank you so much for being with us, and we'll talk to you again soon here on Pop Talk. Pop Talk is a production of the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine and is produced at the UNT Health Science Center in Fort Worth. To learn more, please visit our website at unthsc.edu.